Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Canadian MPs want to take four-day weekends in solidarity with American women, plus the moving goalposts of vaccination, and Anne McElhenney on her new true crime podcast about America's most prolific serial killer. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome along, everyone. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. It is Monday, July 4th, 2022. Hope you are having a wonderful day. Hope you had a great long weekend. And I mean, if you, (laughs) I should start off here. If you work for New Democrat Member of Parliament Rachel Blaney, you are still on your weekend. You're actually getting a four-day weekend. I don't know if you saw this, but the New Democrat MP, I think she's from BC, tweeted out that she has instructed her staff to close their offices on July 4th in solidarity with women in the USA and the world in support of reproductive freedoms and in protest to the lack of access to abortion services. Healthcare must include right to choose People who are pregnant need to be safe. So there's a lot to unpack here. For starters, people who are pregnant. Come on. She mentions women at the beginning and then eventually walks her way back to anyone who's pregnant. So if you're a pregnant man out there, this is in solidarity with you too. And we know basically half the men out there are pregnant in 2022. But also the idea that when the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, in Canada, women are so triggered and parliamentary staff are so triggered that they need a four-day summer weekend just to deal with it. That's what's happening here. So they already had Friday off because of Canada Day, but the Monday they can't go to work. It's too upsetting that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So all of the rest of us that have to work today, I'm thinking, wait, hang on, why, why, was, I, why was True North not taking solidarity with women around the world for their reproductive rights being taken away or something? I'll, I'll, I'll celebrate anything. I'll, I'll take solidarity with absolutely anyone if I get a four-day weekend in the summer. But no, here I am, so y'all have to put up with me today with another show, a 4th of July edition to the show. I will not wish you a happy Independence Day because we did the Dominion Day thing last week, so I'm not sure you're allowed to do Dominion Day and Independence Day, but if you are an American tuning in, I guess, I hope you have a good 4th of July. We are in a bit of a different location, if you can't tell, but we're going to plug on, as we always do on this program, and I want to start off by talking about Jean-Yves Duclos, who's the federal health minister who's providing himself as the answer to the question, who is a worse health minister than Patty Hyde? Now, I got to say, I didn't think anyone could compete in that league, but Minister Duclos is showing a great courage in his efforts to be a worse health minister than Patty Hyde. But at least he's being remarkably transparent. We know that the government is right now seeing absolutely insane wait times at airports. You've got baggage uh, getting hauled up and delayed and lost. And you've got baggage hauls that are loaded up for weeks and weeks and weeks as bags just turn up late because there was no one there to process them. Airport security lines are incredibly long. People are getting flights canceled. Last week, Air Canada did what they didn't want to do for weeks previously, which was start canceling summer flights. And the reason is the government wasn't doing what it needed to do so that these flights could reliably go on. 
So Air Canada, if you've ever seen, and people tweeted pictures of this, the customer service line at the airport. This is where you go when your flight's been canceled and you need to rebook at something and they give you like the 30 cent food voucher to get you half a bite of a sandwich or something like that. That's the customer service line. So when your flight gets canceled because the government couldn't staff the customs office, the government couldn't staff the security line, all of this stuff, it's the airline left holding the bag. Now, I've got a lot of frustrations with Canadian Airlines and with Air Canada, so I'm not going to say that they're all lily white, but I will say that I'm kind of sympathetic to Air Canada on this when they say that they can't, they're the ones that get screwed when the government is not doing what it can to keep people moving and to get people through. So Air Canada, they want to make money. They've had to start canceling flights and they've had to actually do all of this stuff because the government can't. So this is coming days after then, and the government is still not claiming that it's the problem here. The government is not admitting that it is at fault. And one point that I'm going to bring up to this effect is all of the intersection that's going on here. It's not one thing. It's CBSA, border officers. It's CATSA, security officers. It's the flow. It's the vaccine requirements. It's ArriveCan. ArriveCan is here to stay. And the government hasn't admitted this. The government hasn't acknowledged it. Last week, Omar Al-Ghabar, who's the transport minister, talked about all the things they're doing with ArriveCan. And if you look at it, it's clear it's not going away. This thing that was brought in simply for COVID is now becoming a permanent fixture where if you want to enter your own country, you have to log all your details on this app and get a little passcode that you can give to the border officer. And if you don't, you will be fined. So Jean-Yves Duclos, he said, ArriveCan's working. ArriveCan's actually making it quicker for people to go through the customs lines. That's what he says. ArriveCan's actually making things easier. So I've used ArriveCan a number of times. You have to when you're coming back into the country or you get fined. And, and it used to be about you just log all your information. And now what they're trying to do, and this is what Omar Al-Ghabra was talking about last week, they're trying to integrate it with your customs clearing. So the questions that you have to answer, do you have any fruit and vegetables? Have you been to a farm? Stuff like that is now going to be part of ArriveCan. So what the government gets with ArriveCan is advanced knowledge of those who are coming to Canadian borders. It's supposed to be, as a Canadian citizen, you're supposed to be able to show up at a Canadian border and say, here's my Canadian passport, let me in, and that's enough. Because the government cannot deny you entry to your own country. But they can make your life miserable, and they can fine you, and this is what they're doing right now. They're saying, oh yeah, if you, if you come in as a Canadian and you haven't an arrived can, we'll let you in but we're going to make you pay like $5,000 for the privilege of entering your own country without using the government's creepy arrive can tracking app. And the reason I bring this up is because there should not be barriers to enter your own country. So this is now becoming an electronic travel authorization for Canadians to go into their own country. An ETA is what you're supposed to get when you travel to a foreign country. And now we're effectively making Canadians do this for themselves. And it means that when you go through and you scan your passport or your Nexus card, they already have all of your information because you had to log it ahead of time on the app. Because I've had people say, well, they aren't even asking for my arrive can at the border after I've gone through the effort of doing it. They don't need to because you're already in their system and it's linked to your passport or Nexus card. So when they swipe those, all of these things that you put in come up. And yeah, it makes things very convenient if you're the border officer. But what purpose does it serve for a Canadian coming through? 
The issue is not ArriveCan. The government says ArriveCan's making it better. No, it's adding one more hurdle. One more difficulty, and this thing is not, by the way, reliable for a lot of people, especially folks that aren't as adept at apps or computers that all of a sudden have to go through this process when they're overseas. One big thing is that I will not, and I would encourage all of you to take on this as well, I will not ever hand my unlocked phone over to a border guard. I simply will not do it. People's phones are their lives now. I am never going to hand my unlocked phone over. And it's not that I have anything to hide on there. It's a matter of principle. So I'm not going to get my arrive can up and then hand that phone over, which means anytime I do need that printed proof of it, I have to find a printer, which is not easy to do when you're traveling. It's not easy to do when you're in hotels to find that printer because the alternative is having to hand over your phone, which again, I would encourage people not to do. But the whole thing is, right now we're talking about this thing that is only getting more cemented. Government does not do temporary. Which brings us back to vaccination, and I go back to Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos on this, who's already talking about what we feared is happening all along, that fully vaccinated doesn't actually mean anything anymore. But my message today, more specifically, is for those that haven't yet received their first booster. The immunity conferred by a primary series of two doses of vaccines administered in 2021 has now waned. While you might have gotten infected, risk is high. You could get reinfected with all the downfall, including the risk of developing symptoms of long COVID. As health experts and physicians will tell you, it's critical that you go and get the shot that's waiting for you. And the government, which has suspended its vaccine mandate for air travel, may be bringing it back. But oh, no, 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 it won't be if you've had two doses. You'll note that they haven't actually talked about fully vaccinated in a little while. And Jean-Yves Duclos, I use his own comments on this, originally reported in La Presse. They're no longer talking about fully vaccinated. They're talking about up to date. Now, this is an incredibly important distinction. It's not about having the second dose of a two-dose regimen. It's about your vaccines being up to date. And what he says is that fully vaccinated, it no longer works with two doses. He says we have to normalize the science, and normalizing means nine months since your last dose. Nine months since your last dose. So this means that more than once a year, you will have to get a COVID booster until when? Until the end of time for the next five years, the next two years, but nine months. Now, NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, they've said a six-month interval between the second dose and booster dose. So that would be twice a year every six months, perhaps, that you would need to get boosted in order for the government to view that your vaccines are up to date. So this means that there's no such thing as fully vaccinated. Because if you just decide, oh, you know, I've been busy working, I haven't gotten a vaccine in the last nine months and you want to travel, all of a sudden, oh, no, I can't because the government says I, my vaccines aren't up to date anymore. And what they're doing here is not even promoting a vaccine. When you need to get it every nine months, this is not a vaccine. It's a chronic health treatment. But what they're doing is setting the stage for this becoming a permanent part of life. The people that stayed home to save lives, that wore their masks, that got their vaccine, that got their second vaccine, that even got boosted, 
are now being told they're just going to be those dirty, racist, misogynist, anti-vaxxer, unvaccinated people if they haven't gotten their, you know, 17th jab in 2042, or however the math adds up. No, 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 we'll, we'll have our 17th, because if you, everyone's had to have their third jab by now, and we go every six months, your 17th jab will be in like uh, eight years' time. So by 2030, if you haven't had your 17th jab yet, you're going to be one of those unvaccinated, anti-vaxxer, racist, fringe minority types that Justin Trudeau has been warning us about for the last two years. This is despicable. And it's not a vaccination at that point. It, it serves no public health purpose. They're couching this in terms of science. In terms of science, this is all about following the science. The science says we have to get a fresh COVID jab every nine months. So everyone you look around right now, everyone's getting COVID again. It's reminding us a lot of what was happening back in December when the Omicron wave was coming and everyone was getting sick and they'd have the sniffles. They'd take a couple days off work. It seemed like everyone got it and then they all moved on. We're going through another one of those periods right now where a lot of people are getting it. They're getting over it very quickly, but they're telling us about all this because they're trying to set the stage for more, for a return of restrictions in the fall. And even when these travel mandates and travel restrictions have been lifted by governments now, you'll know they're only saying they're suspended. They're suspended. We'll have to reevaluate. It was a few weeks ago that the government said there was a transition underway about what fully vaccinated meant. And it's only been in the last couple days that Jean-Yves Duclos has admitted what that's going to mean. Boosters every nine months or you're not vaccinated. And again, I want to make clear, they've not announced this as formal policy yet. They're, they're floating the little test balloon. They're telling us what they're working on, telling us what they're considering, and they've said, what they have said is that they're going to reevaluate in the fall. And we know there's going to be an uptick in fall. As the closer we get to flu season, every single year people get sick. But all these governments that were saying, no, 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 we're open for summer, we're dropping restrictions, you know in the fall they're going to be looking at a return of all of this. A return of vaccine passports, a return of vaccine mandates for staff, for traveling, for all of these things. A return of all of these restrictions that right now we're all supposed to believe are all gone. That we're living free, that we beat it. All those people that showed up in Ottawa on Canada Day, they were criticized. What are they even protesting? Life's back to normal. Things have reopened. There are no mandates. There are no passports. Well, the joke will be on you in the fall. When all of this stuff comes back with a vengeance and the 50% of Canadians who haven't gotten boosted, who got their two shots, are going to be to the federal government unvaccinated. Absolutely absurd. I'm going to change gears entirely here. Speaking of solidarity with uh, the women of the United States and, sorry, people who get pregnant. I don't want, to, don't want to be insensitive here or phobic of anything. The people who get pregnant. Well, a lot of talk about Roe v. Wade and importing American conflict and American debate and American politics. And look, I love American politics. I love news from around the world. We have enough of our own political battles here. We don't need to start fighting against the U.S. Supreme Court in Canadian Parliament. I wanted to have a, an adjacent discussion to this, though. One name that you may not know and you should know is Kermit Gosnell. Kermit Gosnell is, in the eyes of Anne McElhenney and Phelan McAleer, a tremendous duo of authors and filmmakers, the most prolific serial killer the United States has ever had. And you may think, well, how do I not know that name? And, and some of you may know that name. He was an abortion doctor. And he did horrific, horrific things 
to unborn children, some of which he delivered, some of which he didn't, all under the guise of being the friendly neighborhood abortion doctor in a poor part of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when he was eventually charged, and we started to see details of the crimes that this man had committed, no one in the media wanted to pay attention. Why? Because, well, he's an abortion doctor. They didn't want to cast him in a bad light. They didn't want to be controversial. They didn't want to go down that road. And two people who did were Anne McElhenney and Phelan McAleer, who did tremendous work. They literally wrote the book on the guy, which you can see on the screen there, and later turned that into a true crime movie, which I would encourage you to watch. It's not just an important story, but it's first and foremost a well-done movie and a thriller about a topic, a crime thriller about a topic that very much needed that Hollywood treatment. But of course, I mean, all the Hollywood bigwigs looked away from them. Thankfully, they got a, a great cast. They had Dean Cain and some other folks as well that stepped up and took part in that movie. Now they are putting new life into this story in a true crime podcast, and they're all the rage right now. The podcast is called Serial Killer, a true crime podcast. I caught up last week with Anne McElhenney, the filmmaker, author, producer, and narrator of the podcast. And always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on, Andrew. Now, as I was just saying in your intro there, you pretty much do everything. Books, movies, documentaries, podcasts. True crime, though, this is something that, I mean, it's very trendy now, but you've been doing true crime since before everyone was doing true crime <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, for, it's very interesting, true crime, how huge it is, by the way. Obviously, in the podcast world, you have... Uh, um, series is like NPR's Serial, which was downloaded 450 million times. Dr. Death, you know, Dirty John, etc. And we realized, you know, actually, we have a true crime story, you know, the Gosnell case, which at the time when we started doing that story, we interviewed all kinds of people. And we had the tapes of these interviews. And we thought, you know something, this would make an amazing interview. This would be amazing to listen to as a podcast. And and it really is. And it's six episodes long and we're launching it, um, you know, imminently today or tomorrow. I think it's I don't know what day this is going out, but basically it'll be um, Thursday um, of this week that we're launching. And, you know, it's an extraordinarily important story, particularly at this time in American history. Yeah, and I, I want to ask about the podcast in a moment, but I, I want to just go back to the beginning, because for people that didn't cover or didn't follow the Gosnell case, it, it was, I, I would say, very easy to not do it, because there yeah. was, as, as you noted in your movie, in your book, that this mainstream media blackout on this thing, which would have been by any other standard and was by any other standard, as you've said, the most prolific serial killer in American history. And it was impossible to get the usual suspects to pay attention to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's very interesting what the media can do. You know, they'll say things like, so the New York Times, you know, can say, oh, we covered it, you know, but there's covered and then there's covered, right? So Michael Brown, you know, everyone on the planet Earth has heard of Michael Brown, you know, Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, the whole world has heard those names. And these are individuals. This is a case with multiple deaths, you know, a serial killer of children um, happening not in a backwater in very progressive Pennsylvania. And yet the media didn't turn up. And they didn't turn up because the subject at the very center of this is the darling of the left, the darling of, of you know, leftists is abortion, their sacred cow. So they covered up for it. And it's interesting, you know, even the people involved in the case, the assistant district attorneys, they expected the court to be packed with journalists. So they actually reserved one of the largest courtrooms 
in Philadelphia. And it was like the Marie Celeste. There was no one there. And in any measure of any journalistic measure of any kind, this story had massive importance. You know, even from a public health point of view, that there was a medical facility that was this filthy operating in America in this century um, and hadn't been inspected by anyone from the Department of Health for 17 years, even though two women had died. Both of them, by the way, one of them, you know, an African-American woman, the other woman, a refugee from Bhutan who had spent 20 years in a refugee camp in Nepal. You know, that, this, that these people had been thrown under the bus by the system in Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania, that no one had investigated those deaths. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's a travesty. And by the way, we have, no, we have no information that would indicate that anything has changed. Well, let me ask you about that, Anne, because I think the most, I mean, if you're a, a pro-abortion rights person, the most logical response to this is, well, that's not abortion. That was just him. That's not representative of it, this thing. And, and I remember there was a, a chilling scene in the movie, which was, I believe, almost verbatim from the trial of an abortion doctor testifying about how the stuff that he was doing that we all saw as so brutal and, and uh, you know, basically just murderous was actually part and parcel of standard abortion practice in, in the United States, and I, I would presume in, in Canada as well. So you you can draw a line, it sounds like you're saying, from what Gosnell did to abortion that is legal. 100%. That's a really great question, actually. You're, you're, you're spot on there, Andrew, because, you know, yeah, this is what the pro-abortion activists would say. Oh, this is an outlier. This isn't, this isn't, this doesn't inform us about anything. It informs us about a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things pro-abortion activists, by the way, say is that, you know, second and third trimester abortions are like really extreme and they just don't really happen. Well, even based on pro-abortion activists' own research, we know that second and third trimesters are happening tens, tens of thousands of them. And all those numbers are not exaggerated because all those numbers, you're not required to even report. We know, for example, that Gosnell was routinely doing abortions at the second and third trimester. And, and in his case, he was killing them. But those women were turning up. Those women were turning up who were pregnant, who were very, very, very pregnant. So if they weren't turning up to him, they're going to turn up somewhere else. So they, and, and there is no suggestion, not in anything I've ever done in this case, working on it for years now, I have never heard of one case of a woman in a fetal, you know, where she had some kind of fetal anomaly or where there was any kind of anything wrong with the baby or any kind of health issue, never, never an inkling of that. And yet these women were turning up and he was making millions from it. So this does actually open a window to what's going on, what's legal in, Amer in America and legal, as you say, in Canada. But you also point out a really, I mean, what you just said there, it's, it's so interesting. Like, so that moment in the movie, that moment in the in trial, it, you know, is, it is verbatim. Um, an abortion doctor called Karen Fuseline came in, gave evidence, was asked, you know, when you're doing this right, how do you do it? And she described it. And I can tell you the journalists that were there they, that day were scratching their head, including Phelan McAleer, my husband, who was like, oh, my God. And when we read that, when I read that transcript, when he told me about that, we, that was what made us decide to make the movie. That's what made us decide to write the book, because we thought... Well, we we're very informed. You know what I mean? Like we're like you know we're not we're our heads aren't in the sand. We're very interested in stuff. We didn't know, and if we don't know, who knows, right? Um, mm -hmm. So we thought you know this is incredibly important to get this kind of information in front of people because people don't know. People genuinely don't know, and I actually think a lot of people who are very pro-abortion don't know. 
And I know that because of the response we got from the movie. We had people who were pro-abortion who saw the movie accidentally because it was, again, a true crime movie and people love crime. Um, and, they, and they were like, oh, my God, I didn't know this. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. And I'm, I'm totally changed. I, I'm, I've totally changed in 90 minutes. We know people. People have written to us. And people also tell, we have news reports of people. Patrick Kuralesh, a media um, entrepreneur here in, in Los Angeles, who wrote and said, in 90 minutes, you totally changed my mind about abortion. So this is the power of this podcast, is to shed light on a story. You know, what's going to happen, we presume in the next couple of days, is that Roe v. Wade will be overturned in the Dobbs decision. Um, and, and that's just one thing, right? And of course, what we both know, um, and the abortion people are not saying is, this doesn't really change anything. It just it just throws a decision back to people for people to decide, which is what should have always been the case. And what will people decide? Like, what will people decide? Unfortunately, I know from Ireland that when people were were asked to decide, they overwhelmingly decided in favor of abortion. And I thought that decision was made in ignorance. And I don't mean that in a, in a, a horrible way. I just mean that I think that uh, the media suppressed the true story, didn't allow voices like mine to be heard. And so people, people made a decision and they didn't know what they were voting for. So I think this is a really important time for people to get more informed, more information, not less information would be really helpful. Yeah, and I, I think the importance of access to these stories is critical. And I do I I mean when you talked about people whose opinions were changed by learning about this trial, do do I understand correctly or do I recall correctly that you had a, a bit of a change in, in your own outlook in, in immersing yourself in this as well? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh I, I I was I mean, you know, I was what, what people say, I was neutral on abortion prior to getting involved in this story. And by the way, there is no neutrality on abortion. It just doesn't exist. So that means I was pro-abortion prior to this. And I, I had a, a complete conversion. I was profoundly shocked. I'm shocked today. To be honest with you, I'm shocked today, Andrew. Like, I've read stuff today that, you know, stuff that I wrote myself, stuff that I discovered myself. I've been looking at some of the interviews we did with some of the people in the podcast. And it brings me to tears to listen to it now, years later. And I know this stuff. It's chilling. Um, you know, I have the photographs of the babies that were discovered in the clinic. Most of them were legally aborted. And it's chilling to see the true face of abortion. Um, and it totally changes you. I mean, I just can't. It's, it's the un, I think one of the, it becomes unthinkable. Once you understand what abortion is, it becomes unthinkable. Um, and I think one of the, somebody made a, um, Kevin Hart, not Kevin Hart, no, Chris Rock made a good, made a good joke recently, you know, about abortion. And he said, you know, um, yeah, there's no such thing really, you know, yeah, I don't think there's any such thing as a safe abortion because always somebody dies. And he said, you know, and he went on to say, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not so much pro-choice, I'm pro-better choice. I thought that was great. You know, I'm pro-better choice as well, you know, um, and I, I like, yeah. In a safe abortion, always someone dies. Hmm. Someone dies, not something. When I, I look at the podcast that you have coming out, and I've, I've only heard the premiere episode, not, as would be expected, it's quite well done. Is your goal to repackage this to, to tap into a new audience? Or, or are you, is there more to the story or more insight that you have now that you've, you've sat with this for several years and you've done the book and the movie and, and now this? It's actually both of those. That's really good. Yeah, it's actually both of those. Yes, reaching a new audience because people who get to hear this story 
are forever changed by it, and in a good way. I mean, you know, we've had, as I said, we've had amazing correspondence for people. But I have, had and, and you couldn't get your movie in a lot of movie theaters. You couldn't get it on Netflix. I mean, it wasn't getting to a lot of the people that might have been in that position where they could have had their mind changed. Yeah. Correct. And I do think, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. And we have had time in the meantime to think about this. And, you know, I, and I feel like that the podcast gives something that we haven't uh, maybe, you know, really touched before, which is really getting to know the characters here that made this, you know, brought this man to justice. And they're really worth knowing, you know, like Detective Jim Wood, who's just this fabulous cop who would really renew your faith in, in you know, in the justice system, make you realize how incredible these great cops are that are all over the place. Um, the assistant district attorney, Christine Wexler, you know, people like, you know, the crime scene investigators that we speak to. And then some of the victims, some of the women who were in that clinic and describe what it was like when they thought that they were going to bleed to death. I mean, you know, I think it's I think there's something very unique about hearing those voices that, that is very, very valuable and very powerful. It's it's incredible. Um, it's an, yeah, I, th I just think it's a completely different way of coming to that story. And as you kind of have mentioned there. There is this massive audience of people who really love true crime. I'm that person. I am that person. Myself and my husband, Dateline at night, we're all the time doing that. Watching these shows with these, you know, and, and apparently it's a, you know, that's the, it's a, you know, the reason why when you turn the television on, there's all these true crime shows is because they have an audience for these. And the audience on, po on the podcast platform is enormous. Uh, with people tuning in and once they've had their you know they've done dr death or they've done dirty john or they've done serial the npr show they're ready for the next one so get ready for us because serialkillerpod.com if people go to serialkillerpod.com they can access the, the the show and i i'd ask people to subscribe please leave a review it's a really powerful story i mean as you say i've been at this for years um and i'm always i'm always gratified by the effect it has on people you and Phelan always do such a, a tremendous job at bringing things that are, are oftentimes very difficult or, or in other cases very dense to life. I mean, one notable example was your your real, basically real-time uh, podcast reenactment of the, the Harvey Weinstein trial, and I know uh, the Ferguson play as well, uh, great examples of, of this. And I, I guess with this podcast, what's your message to people that are inherently going to dismiss it because it's pro-life propaganda. The people that have already made up their mind, there's nothing that's going to shake them, they think. Like, do you think there is something in this that can reach even those people? Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, if you like crime, if you like crime stories, I mean, this is an amazing crime story, even how this guy was discovered, that this was a routine drug investigation. I mean, it's really fascinating. I think, you know, yeah, there's, there's lots of things like that. There's also, I think... I think people who maybe have their minds made up about abortion or whatever and think, oh, this is an abortion thing. It's not, it's, there's a lot of, it's, a, it's a lot about a lot of other things too. And it's a lot about, I mean, for somebody maybe who hasn't come across this story before, they should, be, they should be questioning about that. They should be saying to themselves, that should make them really uncomfortable, by the way. The fact that they've never heard of this story before you know, why well, on that note, do you still meet people that you say yeah. Kermit Gosnell and they say who? Is that like you know, one of the Muppets or something? Yeah, like absolutely, I totally meet people who haven't who have not heard this story, and I think people should be really just this should be very very disturbing for people. You know that the media chose to cover up this story because they didn't like what it said about whatever. It, the, the media don't get to make those kind of choices. You need to tell people. I mean, you know that. I'm looking at your book in the background there, The Freedom Convoy. If, if that isn't the best example of exactly what I'm talking about, 
where something monumental happens, something historic, something of that magnitude, and the whole world aren't reporting on it because they don't like what it says, because it goes against some narrative of theirs, some politics of theirs. That's, that's not good for any of us. No matter what your opinion or your belief in anything is, journalists need to be reporting on what's happening. And this was an extraordinary story. Um, and it's an extraordinary story about public health, by the way, and the state of public health in the United States, where the Department of Health in Pennsylvania got repeated complaints over and over and over of the years of people saying that there were cats in this place, that it was filthy, and, and no, one from, no one from the Department of Health went to investigate. People should be outraged by that. People, by the way, who support BLM should particularly want to listen to this podcast, by the way, because this clinic particularly catered to minorities, particularly catered to very poor uh, African-Americans, and people who, who are supporting Black Lives Matter should really, really care about this because the way these women were treated and the way that the establishment in Pennsylvania treated these women was basically racist. You know, it, would, it wouldn't have happened as somebody said to me recently in a nice suburb in Pennsylvania, it wouldn't have happened because it wouldn't be good enough for those white folk, but it was good enough apparently for these black women. So I don't know where, why BLM aren't all over this thing because th this, is a, this is racism. This was a, some form of racism on top of everything else. Yeah, you're right. BLM, feminists should be mortified oh. by this treatment yeah. of women, all of these activist groups that should be there that aren't on this, and, and certainly the media. I don't want to say they're they're as large villains as Gosnell himself, but but certainly they are villains in this story. And I appreciate the plug on my book, but we're here to plug your podcast, Dan. Serial Killer, a true crime podcast launching this week. Where can people find it? So people need to go to SerialKillerPod.com. So SerialKillerPod.com. And you can subscribe. It's all free. Um, have a listen. Please leave a review. That would be really helpful. Um, and then share it. If you think it's interesting, please share it with other people. This is the great thing about podcasts. As you know, there's no borders. And they're free. And, you know, they can go everywhere. And it's an amazing way to get information. And you can do it. You know, you can have it plugged into the car. You can be listening to it on your way to work. And it's like, it's jaw-dropping stuff, actually. But it's also, ultimately, I think, life-affirming and, and inspiring because of the kind of people that were involved in the investigation who put this guy away forever. And if you find it too heavy, you can also subscribe to the Ann and Phelan Scoop, where uh, Ann and Phelan also do recipes. So uh, right. you can get the serious and the lighthearted as well. That's right. That's right. For this cooking. I, I just recently was doing a recipe using the air fryer, and somebody just literally wrote, because the podcast came out today, and somebody wrote and said, thinking of buying an air fryer, which one do you have? And I'm thinking, yeah. So anyway, I'm obviously, I'm very big into the air fryer right now. <laughs> well, it's, been, I, it's been a couple of years since I've had your cooking. I'll have to, uh, to venture out to uh, yeah. California yeah. again yeah. soon. Yeah. Uh, Ann McElhenney, thank you so much. Great job on the podcast. Congratulations. Okay. Bye-bye. That was my discussion with Ann McElhenney. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I would encourage you to do both and listen to the podcast. It's incredibly important to support independent media and voices telling these stories. And like I said, they're actually just important stories in and of themselves. So my thanks again to Ann McElhenney for coming on the show. That does it for us for today. On the next edition of the program, we'll have my sit-down with Pierre Polyev as part of our conservative leadership series here on The Andrew Lawton Show. And that leaves just a couple of leadership candidates remaining in Scott Aitchison and Leslin Lewis, but we'll get to them in the coming weeks as well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.